0: Dropping the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the The DLC DLC Drop Drop Podcast. Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the DLC Drop Podcast. It is my pleasure to welcome Susan Paley. Susan is the former CEO of Beats by Dre, one of my favorite brands, and current CEO of Drop Labs, one of my favorite new brands. Susan, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me, John. Well, let me tell you
0: about a little bit just the interaction I've had with Drop Labs. I was introduced to your marketing uh, by a friend, and uh, you, you guys were so gracious to do uh, a feature on me. And so before the, the interview on the website came out, uh, you guys very kindly sent me a pair of shoes. And I'll be honest with you, when I heard about Drop Labs, which we'll talk a lot about, um, this haptic technology shoe company, I was a little skeptical, you know, I was like, what is this? Is this really legit or is this, uh, is this some sort of a gimmick? And I can tell you when I put those shoes on my feet and I found out there was an app and how to customize the beats, the, the vibration on your feet, I was blown away. And I was an instant believer and both in music and in gaming, it made me just so aware of the audio side of my experience. So I just want to, um, I want to share a little bit of that with our audience. But first, what I'd love to share is what your journey has been like. You've, um, you have over 20 years in consumer technology. You've been with Beats, JBL, GM, Fiat, Quicksilver, many others. Where did this journey begin for you?
1: Um, you know, it's funny, it began, you know, when you think about 20 years, you're like, Where did it begin? You're like, where do you start? Um, I was actually like many people in LA, I kind of went to LA to follow the dream. I was actually in entertainment, I was working on movies, and I'm gonna date myself here, but um, it was the late 90s or actually probably mid-90s at this point. And one of the guys who I had worked on a film with had actually started an internet company, and this was, you know. LA in the, in the late 90s. And so, what would happen is you would actually create like what we used to call web wallpaper for movies. Yeah. Right. You would create like a website and it would just basically be a poster that would happen to live online with HTML. So, I ran into him actually on the Ferris wheel at Santa Monica Pier and I said, What are you working on right now? I want to get out of the film business. And he said, I'm working. this internet company. I I said, I've heard of that. That sounds really interesting. And so I literally talked my way into a job with him in 1997. And we started building their business. And I absolutely fell in love with technology. And we were doing, you know, we we set up the first databases. We were doing work with, you know, Hyundai and Mattel. And it was really fun because it was every day was white space. You were trying to like come up with solutions. And, you know, it was like whatever you could think of, you just need to find someone to build it. So and that kind of white space kind of guided my career of like I kind of want to do something and because I'm not a classically trained engineer, all I can come up with is ideas and then find genius people that I can work with to to manifest them.
0: Wow, that, I think that's what you said last there with uh, bringing people together is maybe an overlooked skill. I think you know the the book Good to Great talks about getting the right people on the bus, and yes. you know. I'm somebody who I've got a narrow expertise. I'm not, I'm definitely not an engineer either by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I know some great people, you know, who are great audio engineers or great lighting engineers or, um, you know, great tournament organizers in the esports space. So it sounds like did that original experience give you kind of a problem solving perspective that served you well later in your career?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there's an idea of initially when I was trying to, like, you're, I was in basically the internet agencies or service agencies, right? We would try and go pitch business and then we'd have to execute on the business that we pitched. And so what you don't realize is you're almost like a linguist, right? Because you're talking Mm. to the client and you're trying to get them to articulate what they want when even the language of those days didn't really exist. Right. You know, so they're trying to explain like a business need or a business problem. And then you've got to go translate that need, make sure A, people have horrible listening skills across the board. So if anyone, if you can actually listen, you're like 50% ahead of most people, right? Because most people will tell you what they want if you really listen, but they won't clearly tell you what they want. You're going to have to kind of interpret it from their language. Sure. And then you've got to go back and translate that into a language that your CTO can understand, all your engineers can understand. And so you literally are a linguist in some ways, right? And so there are certain people that have that skill where they can talk to engineering, marketing, sales, operations, and they're very fluent in all those languages because they all need to be communicated to using different language, right? To get to the same outcome. And so you see, and, and it's funny going back, looking and working with so many companies over my career, what was incredible about my work with Chrysler was that normally... And they always talk about engineering and sales, never get along, or engineering and marketing are always at odds. And Christ happened to be a company that engineering and marketing completely respected each other and understood the need that they each served in the organization and could communicate. And it was kind of mind-blowing to me. Wow. So that kind of linguism, like the flexibility in language and the ability to communicate was in that company in a way, which is why they didn't take a bailout and they survived and thrived because that was sort of instilled in in how they worked
0: yeah no that's a great point you make the value of communication is just invaluable um so at chrysler who who would you credit that to was that a leadership thing was that the people that worked in the organization the way they hired they got the right people in what who who could take credit if you will um for such great communication between diverse groups i I
1: think in some ways It was run by Europeans. And so there was a sensibility around design, around marketing, how important that was and how Mm. an an internal inherent respect of like, you could build the greatest car in the world, but if they can't articulate the value and if it doesn't look beautiful and sexy, it's not going to sell. And so everyone understood all the different pieces that had to go into success in a way. And there was no fiefdoms and there are no silos. I mean, it is mind-blowing to me how even the smallest company, for anyone who's going to go out and run a company, you could have 10 people at your company and you can be shocked at the lack of communication. It's something that like people really are wired inherently to kind of go into their silo and do their thing. And so it's, yes. and and it's really surprising. And so you think, well, we're all together. It should be so easy. Um, and it's not. And it's something you have to work on. Obviously that's exacerbated by the fact that most people are remote now, True. Um, and in some ways, what's been really interesting is almost like the laziness when you're all together in an office, it's really easy not to communicate. But when you're forced into basically a Hollywood squares type screen with all of your, you know, people, then you're forced, you're forced for FaceTime. You're forced to discuss things. So a lot of companies are, especially hardware companies were very worried about like, how are we going to ever do something distributed and remote are oh, finding before. that it's not nearly as hard as they thought it was going to be because they're forcing themselves to communicate in a much more disciplined way.
0: That's really interesting. You know, they always say necessity is the mother of invention, but Mm -hmm. sounds like necessity can force you into patterns of behavior that should have been there before, but it was so convenient that you didn't really get into those patterns. Right. So I've had some experience with startups and agencies and, and then very big companies as well. Your point of silos but I can't overstress that enough. I remember I I worked at a very big company. We had marketing and we had merchandising. They were kind of at odds, right? Because to your point, you know, the merchandising said, we're the ones who make all the money for the company. You know, these things sell themselves, and marketing saying, no, they don't sell themselves. We need to reach the right person at the right time with the right message that fulfills their need. And I remember we would have these huge quarterly meetings where we would get both merchandise and marketing into a room. And it was simply just aligning the dates on the calendar to say, hey, we have this video game coming out. Oh, there's also a headset promotion at the same time. Let's pull these together to, you know, have have a bigger push. And it seems so incredibly simple to me. But the truth of the matter is the bigger you get, the smaller you have to get. And that, I mean, I think that's a problem throughout corporations, probably across the world. Is that right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I will, this company will remain nameless, but every time I went to a meeting there, there were 35 people in the room and you know, the studies have shown beyond eight people in a meeting, you're really not going to get anything done. Right. And so once you have 35 people in the room, you're basically trying, everyone's trying to Protect whatever territory they have. They're trying to give themselves an excuse for being there, and so it's it's a guarantee that I would walk into that room and I was uh, consulting to this company. I'm like, we don't even need to be here. There nothing will get accomplished. Well, wow. it will mm-hmm. devolve into some sort of like bickering among things, and this is a waste of time. And so, you know, that's what I think. It's a lot of large corporations. Just it's very difficult to you know steer the ship because there's just like this inertia. Um. The other thing that I've seen a company is when you're doing really well in a category, you also have a lot of in, internal resistance to change, right? If you want to innovate, yes. because you can see like, we're crushing it now, but like there's an end point to yeah. what this is going to be. And we can see it on the horizon, especially with the way technology is changing. So getting your team to kind of say, well, we're kind of fat and happy and we're number one in the category. Like why should we do anything? Yeah. Um, it's very difficult in a larger company to say, no, 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 we're going to go into white space now because people, most people don't really love white space.
0: Well, it, it it's pretty flabbergasting to me that you see a pattern th- across all industries. You see the number one guy who should be the person who's in perfect position to innovate or to see what's coming next. They crush it and then their time comes and somebody just supersedes them. You talk Obviously, Blockbuster, Netflix is a, is a huge example of that. And you have it in probably every category of every industry. I've heard it said that you need to try to cannibalize your own business before somebody else does. What are some ways that companies can do that effectively to resist? I understand you do have the people who are at the top who are like, what are you talking about? We're crushing it. Um, and then you often, when I was at GameStop, I'll give you this example, the founder of GameStop, this guy's built a $10 billion a year business. How are you going to tell this guy that what he's done doesn't work anymore? He, right. He points to the, the revenue and he's like, I just made $10 billion. What are you talking about? But this is something that, that happens over and over and over again. And then you have people lower in the company, if you will. Who are saying, we gotta change, we gotta change, but they don't have a voice. Have you identified a a fix to that, a solution to that for corporations?
1: It's interesting. Like, you know, there's two different kinds of leaders that I've seen in my career. There's people like a Steve Jobs, like a Jimmy Ivine, who there is no detail too small. And they, you know, some people say, Well, they're they're in in the mix for everything, right? And especially things that they care about. And they get everyone aligned on a single vision. Um, and they're both incredible innovators and they can kind of see around corners and beyond what like people would see. Right. Right. Then you have other leaders that are much more hands-off and they kind of anoint like their kind of their group of executives. Right. And the problem is there's usually not alignment between what the CEO wants and what, his or her group of lieutenants are interested in implementing. Sure. So I've seen a lot of things sure. fall apart because there wasn't alignment. One actually example of someone who was able to do that on a scale that was incredible was someone like John Chambers from Cisco. Mm. He had almost like to have an organization at scale that large that everyone was tied into a single mission and yeah. really understood it was really unusual. Um, Steve Jobs had, and, and, Steve Jobs had it. Obviously Jimmy had it when Beats was scaling. And so, but you have to have this like emotional missionary, visionary, like ideal that people can buy into. And it's got to be much more than the bottom line. Yes. It's got to be like, we're here to change the world. We're here to do something really big that people can really wrap their heads and their hearts around because it's not ever just about money. People say it is, but it really never is. That's not why people stay at companies. That's not why they work themselves to death. They're, they're on a mission, right? Uh, be it personal, be it part of the company. It, it's different.
0: Well, and it, you know, Simon Sinek has that famous speech. What is your why, right? Where he talks about mm-hmm. Apple and they say, we challenge the status quo at every point, this, that, and the other, we just so happen to make computers. Do you want to buy one? And versus the other version of that, like, hey, you want to buy a computer? No. Do you want to be a part of this cultural movement that just so happens to involve involve computers? Absolutely. Where do I sign up? Where do I buy one? Where do I sign up to work for that company, right? And I think culture really comes into that as well. I have I was so blessed with my first office job. I've showed this on a lot of podcasts, and I don't know if you know this story, but um, I ended up as a temp at a tax firm in Washington D.C., that was my very first office job ever. I I was on a skateboard tour for six months straight. I broke my ankle three weeks before the tour was going to end, so I moved to Washington D.C. a month before I was planning to, with some friends that I had met out there. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I sold cell phones. I'd I I'd, I'd sold vacuums door to door. All signs sorts of crazy, terrible jobs and this girl I was dating said, you should go to a temp agency. And I said, what's a temp agency? Because <laughs> I grew up in a small town. I had no idea. Um, and so they placed me randomly at this tax firm in, and it just so turned out to be one of the top 50 best places to work in DC, top 25 best managed firms in the United States and the fastest growing independent tax firm in the country. And what I learned there, I started at the bottom of the barrel. I was delivering mail, I'm covering the receptionist lunch hour. I'm cleaning out conference rooms after meetings. I wasn't in the meetings. I was cleaning up after and before people back then, but it was such a tremendous culture. You know, I had a direct relationship with the the um, the head of the organization, the CMO, as as well as the 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 partners. And what it showed me was that office an office job could be a positive experience. And that encouraged me to go back to get my marketing degree at Sacramento State, and then you know pursue the path that I'm on now. But talk a little bit about culture. Um, you know, you mentioned that there's these things beyond money that make people want to work for you or 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 stay at a company. What have you found that's successful to build positive culture at a corporation?
1: I mean, for me, it's I think about what are things that I want. I want autonomy. I want you know a way. I want the ability to create. I want to be able to experiment. Um, I think it's all about collaboration. Um, you celebrate people's wins. Um, know that it's not ever one person that can do everything. It's about the the culmination. And we talk a lot, you know, at Drop Labs, I used to always talk about, we're building a system. And so it's a lot about the energy. I mean, A, we're all about energy, right? And moving energy into the body. So if you think about when you're building a product that's going to physically touch someone. the energy, and maybe I've been in LA too long, but (laughs) of like what goes into that product, right? It's like how the team works together, how, you know, and and so a lot of times like what I'll do is when I'm hiring for engineering positions, I'm the last person that they interview with because if the rest of the team doesn't want to work with that person, Mm. then it doesn't matter how good I think that person is because when something goes wrong or there's like a problem, people aren't going to jump in to help that person in the same way. Right. Also, it's going to be that energy is going to get reflected in the product. Like it's about this, the synergy and the chemistry of the people working together will impact whether it's a piece of software, a piece of hardware, whatever it is, it will always find its way into the product. And so to me, the biggest thing is like, can you get, and I was also blessed with one of my first, um, startups is that, you know, it was a group of guys out of UCLA's electrical engineering firm. They had all worked together. They'd all gone to UCLA. They were brilliant guys. And they lived together. They worked together. I mean, they were really a team mm. and a community. It was coming together to solve this need that they wanted, where they wanted to play all their music in their car. And this was, you know, MP3s before iPod. It was worth money. And so it's it was sort of extraordinary to see. And there's still you know, on an email thread that goes on, you know, 10 years later with these same people.
0: That's incredible. You know, I think when you really care about the people who are working next to you, it makes a massive difference. Um, I've, I've been in, like I said, some, some big corporations and when you don't like somebody, (laughs) like you might still, you know, be ethical. So you're doing your job and you're, you're making sure things get done. But you're not going to push that extra mile. You're not going to stay late. You're, you might stay late because you believe you, you want to make sure you don't lose your job or, or maybe you believe in the product. But if you believe and support the person who's next to you and you want to make sure that they succeed, that's just another level of dedication.
1: Absolutely. And things are going to go sideways and things are going to be problematic. And so when you actually work together, because otherwise it's really easy to do the blame game. Oh, I don't really like this person. So it's got to be their fault. Right. Right. Um, And then you can't find the solution in the same way. Right. So like having that team be able to work really well together, really respect each other Mm -hmm. um, and really, you know, you're in the bunker together. Right. Like whatever you're building doesn't matter. So you better, you know, you better like those people in the bunker with you.
0: Right, and also
1: reflect itself in the product.
0: Very true. Um, You also can only control yourself. So I talk to a lot of college classes and stuff, and one of the things I share is, a lot of business comes down to: Are you cool to hang out with? Like, do can we get along if we're working a a long weekend together because we have to meet this deadline? Is that going to be enjoyable? It's probably a bonus if you're funny, right? But also Mm -hmm. if a deal is going to go sideways if like, you know, this happens all the time, you agree on a scope of work, whether it's, you know, you and a a partner, and it doesn't result in something, okay, can we work together to find a solution that's going to benefit both of us? Or are we going to yell at each other and sue each other and have this whole blow up? A lot of it has, I think has to, you want to work with great people, but you also have to ensure that you're a great person. To work with and collaborate with as well, and then people are just that helps with networking. Then people want to support you, whether it's you stay there or you go on to another venture.
1: And it's funny because it kind of changes. There's the the beer test, right? Which is like what you do in your 20s -hmm. and early 30s, and then as you have children, you're like, I don't really care about the beer test anymore because I need to get back and you know deal with my family. Right. So what it becomes is like, how a like does this person have the skills? that is necessary so that I like feel confident and comfortable working with them. Like I know what I'm good at, like, and this could be for engineering could be for anything. And I want this person to be really good at this other thing mm-hmm. and know that because we know we need the set, Um, you know, this happens a lot with firmware engineers, right? Like firmware is kind of one of the hardest things to, to, um, hire for. Okay. And so it's really about not, is this person cool anymore, but like, does this person, are they going to get it done in a way and really build the architecture in the way that we need it to get done? So, like, your litmus test changes as your career path, like, evolves. But it's always the same thing. So what's important is is starts to get a little bit different, like your qualifications. Um, But, again, it's critical that you have confidence and respect um, Mm. in the person that you're going to be sitting in that bunker with.
0: Absolutely. So we talked a little bit about, um, this, this, uh, company that you started with, and then we, we mentioned Chrysler. So after this, um, this internet company, what was your next step in your journey?
1: So like you, I said, you know what, I, Know a lot about marketing, and so I need to go get my sort of marketing like understanding. So I went to go work at a branding agency called Siegel and Gale, which is one of the big sort of branding companies, um, along with like a Landor and people like that. It was a really great education into like what is brand, Mm. how do you value brand, how do you develop brands, and so it really gave me the like foundational learning and the language to like really understand the power that brand plays and the power of words um mm. around that in communication and from there i went to the uh you know they call accelerators now they used to be called incubators so in the sort of okay. 2000 yeah. heyday and so la had a lot of incubators that were popping up and i went to one and cuz they had this idea that we could bring in like a management team and almost like Easy Bake Oven, these, you know, startups, right? They'd go in one side, we'd add our special ingredients, they come out the other side, they were a company. And sure. they realized, oh, that's not going to work. That's, it's really hard to build a company. And these guys were wealthy and they were older and they're like, you know what? No, we're going to do Series B investments only. Like this early stage mm-hmm. stuff is just, it's too hard for us. And through that, I met these guys out of UCLA's Double uh, Electrical Engineering Lab, the master's lab who had this idea for MP3s and how they could play, how they had thousands of MP3s and no way to play them in their car, which is where, where 70% of music used to be listened to. Right. So, um, I, they were pitching it as this hardware. I'm like, no, 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 it's really software. And so what they had done, and they were kind of brilliant. They took the, um, they reverse engineered all the automotive protocols. And instead of having a six disc CD changer in the trunk, you actually had, uh, what they call the fat box. And you had a removable hard drive, the first removable hard drives that were ever in the car. Hmm. Um, And instead of six CDs, you put in thousands of songs. Um, And it was a really innovative company. It was really born because they were like, we want to listen to all of our MP3s. Um, And we ended up doing, I did the first digital content deals for the car ever with like, Capcom and Nickelodeon cool. and, um, universal music. And it was this really fun thing where I'm on the phone with all these lawyers. And I said, okay, well we want to do something in the cars so we we're working with. We were actually selling our system to GM at this point. We had um, music in the front and we had video in the back and it was all about, well, we want to unlock these tracks or unlock, like, you know, show promos. We have a special code and then we could, you could actually buy a pack of Capcom games or you could buy, sure. you know, universal music. And, and, we're on the phone. We're like, okay, well, and the others are like, well, how should we do this? And we're like, well, this is kind of what we want to do. And it was really fun because you're all like, we want to do something. We don't have, there's no precedent. So yeah. let's make it up. And what you'll find throughout most of your career is there's a lot of, let's make it up.
0: Absolutely. You know,
1: like there's no playbook. Everyone's looking for yeah. a playbook. Right. And there really isn't a playbook because everything is so different. And so you are... Kidding yourself if you don't spend a bunch of your time making things up and trying to make the best decisions that you can, and that's the fun stuff, the creative.
0: That's super funny because when when I was growing up, I always thought that there was there was a playbook. You know, you're looking. I'm always like, people just know what they're doing. How do I find? How do I figure out what they know? How do I find the playbook? Right? And I do believe that there's some people who know. I, people know a certain amount, right? You've got your experience that you can yeah. look back on. But there's such a, a value in resourcefulness. There's some people who are order takers and they're great maybe project managers or they're great at operating and there's a very significant value for that. But also if they are some people like that, they need to be told what to do or they, there needs to be a roadmap. But I think there's such value in resourcefulness for somebody to say, go figure it out. No one's done this before. Let's see what happens. and and for me, I think people like you and myself, that's exciting, right? It's like, oh my gosh, to do something that's never been done. I'm all about it.
1: Yeah. And like I said, that's why people or you know, there's that thing of imposter syndrome, right? Like, like, where's my, where's my playbook, right? And right. so it's, again, in resourcefulness and resilience, that's what building a company is about. Whether you're building one or you're like running a division within a company, because things. Things are going to go wrong, and there is so much that you cannot control, even in the best situation, right? There are just, you know, look at what the world we're living in right now. No one could have foretold where we are, right? Right. So you have to be resilient. You have to be adaptable, and it's about as much about problem-solving as creating.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I had a a guest previously and she said, you know, all of the, you know, in 2020, she speaks a lot of conferences. And so, you know, the conference industry has obviously been turned on its head. And it's, you were talking earlier about necessity being the mother of invention. Sometimes you don't know that you have that ability to shift or be resourceful until you need it sometimes. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of craziness happening in 2020 but as we look forward to 2021 one of my hopes is that people realize wow i am resourceful i am creative i can live i can make it through anything because i made it through this insane year that turned every every industry on its head
1: yeah i mean look at what people are you know would you ever think the united to everyone most people are wearing masks almost everywhere they go and you know and it just becomes you know that's never been in our culture. And I think you'll see that there'll be, you know, everyone's like, when's it going back to normal? Well, it's the normal, is gonna be a new normal. It's not going to be right. the old normal. Um, and, but again, people are adapting, they're adapting because they have to.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, I want to hear a little bit about how you got involved with Beats by Dre. I think it, that's, it's such a cultural phenomenon. Um, I have a Beats pill. I've got the headphones. Um, I
1: the pill starts.
0: <laughs> What's that?
1: No, I just like the pill. You know, I just remember. You know, the pill is an is an amazing product, and I just remember working with one of the factories and saying we were just fighting about something in China, and I'm like, I know it's really tense now, but I'm telling you, we'll be cracking the champagne when this is over. It's going to be great, and you know, it's just and of course, and, you know, and we're still good friends today. He's like, I can't, you know, what we went through to get to where it, you know, what it became was, um, it was a lot of work.
0: I bet, you know, actually something that I think back on when I got that shoes of, uh, drop lab shoes that your team sent me, I didn't know you yet. Um, I just knew Angela from marketing and, um, I didn't know that you had been part of beats in the past. And, but now that I'm thinking back on it, what blew me away with both beats and drop labs was the packaging of the product was, was that something that you had a hand in or something that you've just worked with people who had a hand in or, cause I was, I was blown away by both the, um, they're both very elaborate boxes. I remember drop labs, you open it, it's this real shiny um, material that's beautiful. And it makes you almost as excited about opening that box as it does the product. And I think that can be overlooked in a lot of ways is, is the feeling around the product that involves packaging.
1: Yeah. I mean, Beats was... So I was heavily involved in the Beats packaging. I didn't design it. Um, and that was really... The, the kudos go to Robert Bruner um, and most of the industrial design, everything. I mean, he is an absolute genius. Yeah. Um, but it was where I really learned working with Robert for those few years of how important every touch point is mm. and how to really obsess about details... Um, especially when you have things that are going to touch people, right? It's like, you know, beats, you're wearing it on your body, you know, our shoes, you're wearing them on your body. And so you can't, nothing should be overlooked. And so this whole idea of like, the consumer journey, right? And then, you know, it's a premium product. And so you're giving yourself a gift or you're giving that gift to others. And so I think Beats would really revolutionize. Before Beats packaging, everything was like those horrible vacuum seals that like cut yourself like when you're trying to open them and you try and get right. scissors the plastic. Um, And Beats really made it about, you know, it's about that first experience. That's your first touch point with the brand. And so that became kind of my mantra of like, we need to create an experience to something that no one's ever experienced before. They don't even really know what it is until they put it on. And so you want that anticipation that excitement and you want people to feel like, Hey, we're giving you a gift, a gift you're giving yourself, a gift you're giving someone else, it doesn't really matter. Sure. But it should feel like that.
0: Yeah. That's incredible because when you, when you do have that premium packaging, number one, if you have a premium product, it validates it a little bit, right? You're like opening this thing. You're like, Oh my goodness, this is why maybe it costs a little more than the, the headphones next to it or the shoes next to it or something like that. It also becomes a fashion statement. I guess you could say, you know, I've, I I love watching skate videos. And so I, the other day I was watching all these Tampa pro skate park of Tampa, um, contests. And I think it was 2014, 2015, all the winners had gold beats by Dre draped around their necks. And it just, it was a cool thing. I remember, um, you know, around that time, just walking around with those around your neck much even when you're not listening to the music is something that is a fashion statement and and, and positions you culturally and and that had
1: never happened before i mean when beats started there was no market for honor over your phones um it was really about i'm sorry there was there was no consumer market the honor Mm. over your headphone market was really prosumer only yeah. And so for consumer, it was in ear and they really revolutionized all of it. And it's funny because then you, it's kind of a 10 year cycle. And then all of a sudden, AirPods. So it was a reaction to earbuds. And now okay. AirPods have been like sort of the new earbud. Right. And now Apple, 10 years now, has said, OK, you know what? I think there's a market again for on or over ear. Like they just launched a really premium headphone that's doing incredibly well. It's an over ear headphone. Mm-hmm. So it was, but it is fashion. And so for us with Drop Labs, we really kind of sort of kind of did a hybrid where we worked a lot of different, um, you know, uh, shoe designers. Yeah. But we made it all black because we didn't want to get into the color game. And so someone said, Hey, the minute you put a color on something, you are making a fashion statement. And so for our goal, and this is what I learned at beats beats actually, um, all of the different designs, that we had a company early on called Colorware. It was not our company, it was a Minnesota company, and they would take beats early days and they would actually buy them or put them into Colorware and Colorware would customize them. Oh, and they were literally putting them through an oven, which was ridiculous. Like you're putting electronics through an oven right. to add, like, sort of the water transfer. So we were like, well, why should they have that business this is clearly a need where people want to feel unique they want to have it reflect who they are so we started yeah. really doing it ourselves yeah. of like special lines that would be for football team a football club in Europe you know um it was and so that really became like your you know the gold beats your scene right that's a special limited edition people want exclusivity they want customization they want the ability to reflect their own personality so yeah. what you see with drop labs is they'll be some collaborations coming on that will really be about reflective of the product. And and what's interesting about how this product can change, at least our product is not just how it looks physically, Mm -hmm. but all the software change, all the tuning, all of the applications can reflect, you know, what that person is. So if it's a gamer and they want to have like custom settings for different games, right. They can create that, right. They can create, um, we have the ability for the shoes to become a controller. So you can bind settings to a keyboard.
0: That's cool. Right? So
1: now I can do inputs. so I can tap my foot, tap my toe, tap my heel, you know, go on your side, flip around a corner. And again, that all can be architected by a, a collaborator. And so that's where I think the future of collaboration mm-hmm. is really about how do you create not just a different color version, but a custom experience mm. that really reflects I love who that. that person is as a brand. Um, cause I think that's where, you know, there's a level of sophistication now where people are expecting, I mean, you, know, you can say like, you know, Mark and likes or software is eating the world. So right. there's no such thing as hardware, software. I mean, hardware is just software embedded, right. That like is physical. Sure. So the ability for people to do collaborations that really create an experience mm. that is beyond software, beyond hardware, beyond a specific product, but it's a consumer experience that is imbued with their own brand.
0: Yeah, and we know young people value experiences more than owning products, which can be a problem if you sell products. But in your case, if by selling your products, you're enhancing experiences and then providing customization as a result to go another layer deeper, that's really powerful.
1: Yeah, and that's really the power of software.
0: Well, and there's another experience that I wanted to talk with you because I I wasn't aware of this when I first found out about Drop Labs but when I learned about the positive aspects for the deaf with drop labs, there's, um, I do, I know there's a, there's a gamer who's, who's deaf. I don't know if she's publicly part of, Ewok. yeah, part of, um, yeah. Ewok is amazing. I saw when, when phase brought her on, it just, it completely changed yeah. the vibe of the entire org. And, um, she's so cool. She's so talented. She's so fun. From what I understand, she comes from a, Multi generation line of deaf people. Five generations. It's incredible. And it's incredible. When I felt the shoes, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I was blown away. It was far beyond what I thought it was going to be. But when I learned about the deaf aspect and learned that, wow, this product can enable people who can't hear to interact with music and video games in ways that they never have before. It it just blew me away because it wasn't just like a fun, I want to, you know, level up my experience thing. It was a, it's like a life issue that you're providing experiences that people had never had access to. That was really powerful to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you get to be my age, you know, you're, I mean, it's great. Like. I love building products and experiences for people, but, you know, you want to have an impact, right? And so the, to the extent that a technology can help people, that's a huge thing for me. So early on, I knew that the deaf community was going to be critical in the development of this product. And so I found a guy named Antoine Hunter who runs the International Deaf Dance Festival. And I almost like cyber him. I'm like, you need to talk to me. Like, we need your help. You know, you should wow. help us tune this. Yeah. And he was like, wow, what a way to flip the script, usually people come to me and say, I can help you, but you're asking me for my help. Like you're validating oh. me. And so he was really like excited. And so he helped us tune the shoes and into the way that he wanted to hear them. And what was interesting is that I thought, wow, well, what his tuning are going to be is so different than a hearing person, but uh-huh. not really really, um, right? He really wanted the same thing, like the way he wanted to experience music in his body was the same way that someone who is hearing wants to experience music. The other thing that we've done a lot of work with, so they have become, um, Antoine and Shaheem Sanchez, who's a very well-known sort of LA deaf dancer, um, they have really been instrumental in sort of giving us feedback and, and really beta testing. And Antoine uses the shoes with his um, community, you know, his dance company, and they can all dance together. Now they don't have to like memorize vibrational patterns on a speaker and then go back and try and translate them. They can feel it and dance with it. So the oh, other wow. thing that's been really interesting for us is, um, one of a guy, one of our advisors came in and he was a drummer in New York in the eighties, and he's a big EMDR therapist and EMDR is bilateral stimulation. It's used a lot for PTSD and trauma.
0: Oh wow. Um, okay. and
1: he said, well, wow, these shoes deliver audio and stereo. So could I remap these and deliver like EMDR vibrational patterns for people? Wow. And we said, yeah, that's software. So we did a version of the app for him. He ran a study with his patients. And they were like, this is incredible. So now these shoes are getting deployed. So we, now we have a version of the app for EMDR therapists and we're getting deployed into a bunch of different recovery centers. So the whole idea of like, when you're going through trauma recovery, you want to crawl out of your body and this really grounds you, puts you back in your body. And the other thing is we have a, a partnership with a huge, that we'll be announcing in the next couple of weeks, uh, one of the largest human performance companies. And they see this as they're like, wow, you know, this idea of putting vibration and sort of audio into your body. Um, we think it's going to help people achieve flow state faster.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. And so
1: they've run a bunch of studies with their neuroscientists, who said, and he actually works with the head of the um, Canadian uh, ski and snowboard team, mm-hmm. and he actually can test people when they get into flow state. These athletes, they actually your brain fires at a different frequency, so no between forty and fifty. And so when you achieve that frequency, a drone starts flying so that you can, so you can start to understand and we can see, okay, they're in flow state. And then that's the whole idea around muscle memory. Like how do you get to that state? Right. And that's the whole idea of like when time stops and you're just so immersed in this situation. So what he's done with our shoes is that, you know, when you add that sensory element to whatever you're listening to or seeing, it induces flow state faster than if you don't, which makes sense because... It's really brain science, right? And this is a lot of the study of haptics. When you're getting three wow. inputs that are correlated and time aligned, your brain becomes stitching software and says, well, I see it, here and feel it. It's all reinforcing the same information. Mm-hmm. I'm, my brain is being flooded with signals. So it must be happening. It must be real. And that's presence. And presence is a very interesting word because presence is the holy grail for VR, right? If you right. have presence, but it's also the holy grail for mindfulness. Oh, interesting. Right. Being present. So Very there's true. just a lot of really interesting things that this kind of technology opens up.
0: Did When you were first starting Drop Labs, joining Drop Lab, did you ever think that it was going to touch these human issues or were you thinking I'm starting to close uh, your I company. Hoped,
1: Um yeah. No, I had hoped I, when I saw the technology by the inventor who came up with the idea And he really saw, he was a musician, so he saw it as a way to really connect back to music, which, you know, people are always, that's the way I crank my music as loud as I can because I want to be able to feel it. Right. Um, And I started knowing, when I started seeing people's reaction to the tech, I'm like, there's more here, there's more here. I want to understand Mm. what's happening. The the A, B on this thing is really powerful. It's like going from black and white to technical color. And so it became this journey of, okay, what's really happening and looking at a lot of the neuroscience and like what's happening in people's bodies. And then the other thing that obviously started emerging was gaming. Gaming just exploded during this whole process. And so we started leaning very heavily into gaming because for me, I was like, gamers are driving so much of not just culture. I mean, they've never, they're driving culture, everything, but they're also driving software development faster than anyone else. And so if you really are building an integrated software platform, everything you want to do on the health and human performance side will be a subset of gaming, which will be your superset. And so that's really, so it, as we start with music as the onboarding inspiration, the two big opportunities are really around gaming and around human performance.
0: Yeah. When I was uh, wearing the shoes for the first time, I played call of duty a little bit, but then I started watching stream call of duty streams and it was super. And even, uh, like vod videos on YouTube, and it was super cool because watching those streams it just made me feel even more engaged because I was watching, you know, Scump, uh, from former Huntsman now Optic. You know, he's playing and I'm feeling the vibrations. I actually
1: Scump and uh, is Scump is doing a demo with us tomorrow. He's actually demoing the shoes tomorrow.
0: Is that right? That's awesome. I mean, you can't yeah. pick yeah. a better guy. He's to the do nicest it, right?
1: guy in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's incredible. Well, you know, you've talked a lot about helping um, people with your product. I-, I wanted to discuss something that I think will really help our audience. And we talked about this a little bit before the podcast, but is when you're about to go into a major venture like you did with Drop Labs, um, the planning at the beginning. We talked about how it's cool to tell people what you're going to do, right? It- it's it's a lot mm-hmm. of fun to get excited about what you're going to do, but then. You dive into it, then you have to do the work, and it's it's just completely different experience—the planning versus the executing. Talk a little bit about that, and maybe some tips on what can set our audience up for success um, as they go through that process.
1: I mean, obviously, planning is the, the beginning is really fun, right? And It's exciting, and you're starting something, and then the work happens, and the work is so much more than you could ever imagine in any company, right? It's just it's and it's. Something that you know, and and every best laid plans, right? Because your plans are going to shift constantly, and it's how you recover. That's resilience, right? How you recover from those shifts, things you control, maybe blind spots or, or mistakes you potentially make, or things out of your control. Like you can do everything right, but there still going be some you couldn't foresee, like you know, COVID nineteen things right. like that. So um it's and what it really means, and this is a lot. You know, they talk a lot about. You have to be prepared for one. It's very lonely to start a company and run a company. It just Mm. is, you know, people would tell me that. And I was like, yeah, 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 I get it. But you don't really get it until you're in it. Mm. Um, And people can say like having a kid is like different, but you don't really understand it until you have a kid, right? Right. So it's just like, it's like you've you've crossed the chasm and you're like in it now. Um, It is absolutely critical that you find balance, ways Mm. you can can on ways you can because it will make you more creative because there is burnout is real burnout happens a lot right and so yeah. and and if you're working 24 7 it's and i will say the genies um i think are gonna be better about this than some of the Xers and even some of the millennials it was like working like nonstop was a badge of honor right like right. i i slept at the office and I have never seen a generation that embraces self-care and thank God the, the way that like Gen Z does like they, It's no longer like self-care is important. It's valued. It's not something that's like, you know, do you talk about like, if you're in therapy, you embrace it and, you know, right. which was not really talked about, you know, 20 years ago. Sure. So I think this generation is, is probably better set up for having boundaries um, in a way that I think maybe six previous generations weren't as good about. Yeah. I'm interested in Tracy after me. So when you t- talk to Tracy about boundaries, because I think, you know, she, okay. she and I were, you know, we were, and we were women starting companies. And so you tend to like, you want to over deliver because you're, you know, you're not representing yourself. You're representing other female, you know, executives and people that are running companies. So you work right. so hard. Mm. Um, but it's really critical for anyone starting a company to like set up your boundaries, also set up a support system, is it your friends Is it your family? Like make sure that you have time and you have people around you that yeah. you can go to when things are tough, you know, get a coach if you want to coach. But again, you need people in your corner because it's you fighting the fight every day, you know, and that gets yeah. really tiring.
0: That's, those are all great points. You know, I, I started my own company four months ago. So uh, brand new uh, with that, but I can relate to a lot of what you're saying. My first month of doing it, I was just working myself to the bone, you know, from the morning I woke up, waking up early, going to bed late and just working the whole time. I was exhausted by the end of every week. Like physically, I couldn't do it anymore. I need those weekends just to crash. And I have a coach. It's been um, tremendously uh, helpful to have a coach. Um, But we talked a lot about it's not the hours you put in as much as what you put into the hours. And so what I've absolutely what I've noticed, I work from home like a lot of us do nowadays. And if I start work at 7 a.m., once I get to it depends on the day, I get to 6 p.m. or I get to 7 p.m. So you're still getting quite a few hours in. But if I work past that, I'm not being productive. I could work till nine and I could have three hours that I'm not getting much done. I'm just getting tired. And then I didn't unplug. I didn't go skateboarding. I didn't. I love to play pool. I have a pool table in my house that's one of the my unplugs. Um or I didn't watch the funny YouTube videos that helped me uh have a release from work. Um but I when I do that seven to seven or seven to six and by the rather- way, there's
1: something What's up? Yeah, I was gonna say like what's so funny is mm-hmm. you're almost apologizing Working a 12 hour a day. Do you know what I mean? It's so like, and that was just hilarious. And that's where, like, the US is insane, right? Yeah. I mean, you think about most of the countries in the world, they really, like, if you only worked from seven to five, what would happen? Do you know what I mean? Or right. seven to four, like, would your business go sideways? I doubt it, right? And so, like, it's just funny the way we are here in the States to, so like, we should at least do 10 to 12 hours a day. Well, but I don't know. Is that healthy? I, I don't know, right? It's like, right. do more with less.
0: Yeah, and I, I think part of it is understanding what you're like too. Like so I'm somebody who I need a lot of sleep. That you do have those people who sleep for 4 hours or 6 hours. I need at least 8. If I'm not getting 8, I'm dead the next day and then I'm kind of screwed up for the the next day if you will, right? right. And I think giving yourself permission to be who you are, um how you're wired. You know, are, are you wired for 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 instance in the morning I get a ton of stuff done in the afternoon that's when i need to do my phone calls because i'm not as focused on getting work tasks emails documents programs written um i think a lot of power comes from being okay with what you're like the way you're wired and then leveraging that to your uh to your best potential
1: and that's actually a really good point because especially for people who are starting a company, you really need to know yourself and you know what you're good at and what you're not good at because what you're going to hire for, and that's like one of the trickiest things at a company, and that's like one of been things like I've, we've all made mistakes, right? right. Um, understanding who you're hiring, what their skills are, how those skills complement you or not, Yeah. right? And even if they have the skills that might complement you, um, do they have the communication style? That mm. you can have, right? So, like, some people like need a lot of communication. They need to know what's going on all the time. They get very frustrated if they don't. Some sure. people are like, "Go do your thing. Report back to me every week." So, really understanding the personality as much as the skill set. So, like, is communication um, going to be successful? Yes. Um, I, I know we've all worked with people in the past. Like, well, they're great at what they do, but we, you know but I couldn't work with them for whatever reason, you know, just because it was a different style. So it's really understanding how one, who you are, what your strengths and weaknesses are, and then how you also like to receive information. Hmm. I found that like a lot of people, um, and it's funny saying like, well, is that a big deal? It is a big deal because if you're, you're running a business based on and making decisions based on information, so how you need that information, how people can communicate becomes really important, especially as, new scale.
0: Great points. We're we're going to wrap this up in just a few minutes. We're near the end here. Uh, is there anything that we, we have coming in this industry? Uh, insights on future innovation. What what do people who are watching this podcast, what should they know that's coming next? I
1: mean, everything's coming next, right? Because it's <laughs> just like a tsunami of innovation is sort of washing over as like the rules of the book have changed. I mean, and I I go back to gaming a lot, right? Gaming has changed culture, right? Like if you look at like my son's first concert was um, Travis Scott in Fortnite. I mean, I went to a physical concert. He didn't. He had the same experience as a concert, but that was a concert to him. Yeah, You know, so if you think about all these platforms merging together and what's going, so gaming is now not gaming, it's entertainment. And the pandemic has shown us that virtual entertainment is not going away. It's only going to scale. Look at something like little Michaela. Virtual influencers, Mm -hmm. right? They never get tired. They can be everywhere. They don't go into rehab like they're around. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So you will see more and more of the world virtualized. That's a great opportunity for companies like us and others that are thinking about, like, well, how do you feel these experiences? Like, they still need to feel real. You still, we still are tactical beings. Right. Um, I've also seen. I think there'll be another revolution. I'm seeing stuff around textiles and fabrics and wearables. I think will come. With new battery technology that's on the horizon, with mm. new ways to weave fibers and electronics and lights into textiles, that's going to be a big innovation you're going to see is that, um look at something like a Whoop band. You're not going to need a biophysical band. It's going to be all wired into everything that you wear.
0: Right. I love it. Um I feel like... I learned a ton here. A lot I'm, of
1: biome- Biometrics are going to be huge and you just get bigger and bigger and more. It's just, you know, it's, it's a higher level of integration will come down the pike, like more and more and more. So everything that you're physically wearing or dealing with will give you information about your health, your biometrics, will give you entertainment data, will understand your behavior patterns. So your whole experience is just be more and more customized to you as you go throughout your day.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. I, I'm excited just to see it happen. Um, I'm excited to be close to people like you who are making it happen. Um, before we go, is there is there anything do, that um, you'd like people to know to follow Drop Labs to follow you?
1: Follow um? us on Instagram. Um, and I don't run our Instagram because I'm not cool enough, but I have an amazing marketing team. That um, and listen, I would love for people to try this tech. Um, I think it's incredibly innovative. People absolutely love it. Um, and if you don't like it, you can return it. You can Absolutely. at least have the unboxing experience. Um, exactly, that is is pretty awesome. But uh, for me, it's like I want people to have this experience because if this tech can make people happier and enjoy gaming or mo- music or movies or meditation or whatever, um, that like that's a win right there. There's been a lot of unhappiness in the world, yeah. especially now, and especially like living in Los Angeles, what we're living through right now. Anything that can help people. Decompress can help them kind of get out of their head and into their body is something that's really helpful now. So so give it a try. Droplabs.com or at Droplabs.
0: Yeah, if anybody has uh, the experience that I had, it's going to be a very positive one. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for all that you've done in this industry. Thank you for taking the time to share all your insights with you with us today. And it's been a pleasure having you on the DLC Drop Podcast.
1: Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the eSports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review.